we started a series called You Asked For It. And we started out with what the Bible says or addresses in the subject of fear. And then we had this Connection Sunday where I got to preach kind of a standalone sermon while we had two weeks worth of voting of what you want to hear as in response to these subjects that we had and what the Bible says about it. And so you guys selected that we should take on the subject of flesh versus spirit. And for us to accommodate that in the most uh, impactful way, it is more important for me to teach today than to preach. Well, preaching is my gift. It's something that comes natural. It's something that comes easy for me. Teaching, on the other hand, is something that makes me very vulnerable because I'm, I don't really have a lot of confidence in my teaching ability. And so we need the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And to keep me on course, we gave out a handout. Now, I can count in 17 years how many times I've asked you to fill in a blank. So this is a big deal. So I'm going to ask you if you have one of these to get them out and you pray for me as I pray for the power of God to anoint me to teach today. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do within myself. I ask you to allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do uh, uh, right by this congregation of doing more teaching than preaching. And that means that I have to be completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to touch our minds and hearts and to illuminate the authority of your word. And so, Father, I ask for that today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. See, what you have to understand with is the beginning of this uh, teaching is how in the world did we get into the predicament of having a flesh and spirit and who are we rooted in and what effect that has in our life. And we can trace that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Is you and I inherited a sinful nature through the rebellion of Adam and Eve in a garden. And we inherited that sinful nature and even though we were born into sin, and that means that each and every one of us, knew God foreknew that we none of us would be perfect. And in that lack of perfection, He knew each and every one of us would have a need for a Savior. How many of you can say, I am not perfect and I acknowledge that and I need a Savior? Say amen. amen. Well... We inherited that fleshly, sinful nature. And what the Bible refers to when we say the word flesh, when we read that in the Bible, overwhelmingly it is connected to a Greek word called sarks. Now, I really don't do a lot of the Greek words because I really have never met anybody that I've ever had the privilege of pastoring that spoke fluent Greek. Most of them, you know, rely upon English because that's the only language I can really... And I really don't have a good handle on that. But it's the only one I can preach or teach in. So we have had to, uh, from time to time, we know that the New Testament is written in, in Greek. And so what this Greek word means when it says flesh is as follows. It is defined as the corrupt human nature dominated by sin and rebellion, the unregenerated personality of a man apart from God, controlled by self-seeking whims and desires. So as long as I'm out of the box, we might as well do it 
twice. Sarks, the Greek word, the one that means flesh, is defined as the corrupt human nature dominated by sin and rebellion, the unregenerated personality of a man apart from God, controlled by self-seeking whims and desires. So when I hear a definition like that, my personality always runs to ask that follow-up question. Like, hey, what is a self-seeking whim or desire? I want to know, am I guilty of some of that stuff? Like, what is a whim or a desire? And that's when the book of Galatians starts to come alive. It says, now the works of the flesh, sarks, are evident in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now we can connect all of those to our flesh. Because even though when I read this list, there's some things that I don't really struggle with. Like I don't struggle with sorcery. Now some of you may, but I don't have a cauldron. I have not said abracadabra in a while. I have not used the eye of Newt one time this week. But I do struggle with some of these other things like anger and envy and jealousy. And sometimes when you are uh, in front of people a lot, you start to do something that the Bible warns us against because it's part of the human nature of our flesh is that we want to sometimes envy the position or the person of someone else because what we are trying to evaluate is why do I think so less of myself when God thinks so highly of me to send His only begotten Son. So we are in this battle in our head and in our heart about these things like envy and jealousy. It's hard for me to, to understand fully envy because out of 7 billion people on planet Earth, nobody has your thumbprint. God did not make you as a mass production. He made you individually in His likeness and in His image. So what that means that we can be set free by simply looking at our thumb from envy because no matter when you are doing something that other people do differently than you and you compare yourselves to them. Like I would be a nervous wreck if I had to compare what I do on Sundays to T.D. Jakes you know, Matt Chandler or Francis Chan. I've got on my Francis Chan shoes just for confidence today. And, you know, because, I mean, T.D. Jakes, you know, he is such a great communicator and he can talk about stuff and make it come alive. And, I mean, I've been saved for a long time and it seems like every time he preaches, I get resaved over and over and over again. And he's got that guy on that Hammond organ and I just feel like that should be me. Because... A couple of years ago, and I know that Pastor Furtick from Elevation says it more often than I do, the death of contentment is comparison. See, the moment that you start to, we call it in the real world, outside of church, keeping up with the Joneses. 
It's that where you're looking and envying that thing that somebody else has that you don't have because you associate that with success. And so you're looking at what kind of car or some, what kind of vehicle somebody has or what kind of house that they have when we should be thankful that we've got a house to live in, that we got air conditioned, and that our car cranks up and takes us to work and we don't have to walk. Amen? Because, you know, this past week, I mean, I went to North Florida. I got to spend a couple days in North Florida, and, and that refreshes me. And I got to go out in the woods, and I drove my truck into the woods, and it's got a lot of mud on it, and I refuse to wash it because, one, I want you all to know that I'm still a country boy at heart, and I kept that mud on my truck on purpose just to give me peace. The next time I'm in the big city and I'm struggling, I'm going to look over there. But you know what? Not a lot of people envy my vehicle. Vehicle. It's a 2008 F-150. You, some people say all the time, Pastor, that thing's like 12 years old, man. When you going to upgrade? When it quits running. Because every, I walk out there and it ain't got one payment. I put the key in there, crank it up, and it takes me wherever I want to go. I call it sweet names and say, honey, thank you once again for getting me up there and back. But all kidding aside, that list that I, I mentioned spoke to each and every one of us in this room because we're born with a self-centered lifestyle. We are born with a flesh ruling and that's where the tree comes in. We, we, we are driven by our flesh and they're going to put that up on the screen. And the first word is you are driven by flesh. You are rooted in sin. And you are living and producing a self-centered lifestyle. And to put it even simpler is this. In layman's terms, it is the lifestyle rooted in self, fueled by the me-first mentality. I want to get mine first, and if there's any scraps left over, I'll allow somebody else maybe to get some of theirs. But it's all about me. I need to feel good. I need to have the best. I need to do this. I need to do that. It's me, 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 me. And the problem is, is that's an egocentric life when you are the center of the universe. And an egocentric life is driven by our flesh. How many, I know that this is going to shock some of you really religious people that may have stumbled into CityGate for a moment, but I actually know some rock and roll songs. I actually have listened to them even recently. I know that I should be listening to hymns and praise and worship all of my life. But there's kind of a guy, he's a little questionable in his character, but he got famous over a song called Crazy Train. <laughs> I wish I could sing it, you know, like, all aboard. Donna, Donna, you know, had David play it. But that would have taken it too far and half the congregation would have left. But... You say, Pastor, why even bring that up? Because if you're driven by your flesh, that's the, the motto and the anthem for your life because it seems that at any given moment, your life could go off the rails. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know. I like to feel good and stuff. Does that mean the Bible doesn't want me to? No, what I'm telling you is that you can't navigate your life and keep your right mind because what happens when you're dealing with your flesh and dealing with everything run by your emotions? Remember that drama a couple weeks ago of that schoolgirl that made every decision based upon how she felt? I mean, how many of you have ever felt like I should quit my job today and drive to Alaska and start all over? Say amen. Yeah, that's an emotion. That's not wisdom. 
That's an emotion. I mean, there's times I get in the truck and I go, hey, man, how much gas do I got? How far can I get? You know, can I get a little small job there and get some more gas to get me to Alaska? But I don't because I know that the feeling will fade. And so I stay consistent. And it's driven by a self-centeredness and it produces impurity, sensuality, anger, envy, sexual immorality, and idolatry. And the problem with a self-centered life and a problem where, the, where your flesh is driving your life and you're rooted in your emotions and your feelings and in your flesh is here's the point that is above every other point. The book of Romans chapter 7 verses 7 through 25 and for the sake of time I won't even read it says it's impossible for you to resist the temptation of sin through your flesh. So that means, well, Pastor, am I always sinning? Not, not maybe all the time, but how many times have you found a, a, a connection between when you are living by your emotions and your flesh, you find yourself falling short of the marks that God has set for us? Amen? And I find my flesh rising up. Like, you know, those flesh moments. Does anybody ever get them besides me where the war is going on between your spirit and you know you should be praying for somebody that just cuts you off in traffic, but you feel obligated to respond to your flesh? <laughs> but you know what? God made a plan to, to alleviate the torture and the bondage created by a life driven by the flesh. And if you've got your outline, I want you to look at it and right in between the transition between the tree of the flesh and the tree of the spirit, you see that little intersection? Circle that thing. See it circled up there on the screen? Circle it. Because what is that, Pastor? It's the cross. All of a sudden, we've got the cross of Jesus. All of a sudden, he knew we would be born with a sinful, fleshly nature. All of a sudden, he knew that our flesh would lead us to destruction. All of a sudden, now, the plan of salvation comes to the forefront. And all of a sudden, the power of Christ Jesus can transform you and, and to alter your life being navigated by your flesh and give you an opportunity to have the peace of being navigated by God the Holy Spirit. You can actually be transformed and set free from from the law of sin and death, the law of sin and death is navigated by your flesh and it will always lead to destruction because it's rooted in sin. But now the cross. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that God set aside a provision for you that you no longer have to be bound by how you were born? God, I can preach there. I'm trying to teach. Because you know what? I am sick and tired of people saying, that's just the way I was raised. There's a cross and a Jesus because you were born into sin. What you're trying to do is justify bad behavior you want to hold on to because you were raised that way. But the power of Christ Jesus through the cross, because that's rooted in your flesh, can set you free. Even though you've been raised that way, you can raise your children and grandchildren another way. Amen. That's, I had to sneak that in. That's just the preacher coming out in me. But now we have, through the cross, we have a God-centered life. 
It is driven by the Holy Spirit. It is rooted in Christ Jesus. And now God becomes the center of our universe. That's going from egocentric to theocentric. And now our love for God becomes number one, not our love for self. And all of a sudden now he becomes the most important and he is now number one. And, and before I just get through just the preaching part of the cross and how wonderful it was to experience the transformation of the cross, let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to be saved? See, a man named Nicodemus asked that very question to Jesus. In John chapter 3 it says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the man that came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, he was agreeing with him, he says, yep, you're right, man, I can only do this through God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now listen to that statement, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. There's a new bumper sticker out that says, All paths lead to heaven. No. The Bible says the only path to heaven is being born again. Well, you mean any religion can't get me. Now, you've got to be born again through Christ Jesus that will give you an opportunity to be led by the Spirit of God that will make you more Christ-like every single day of your life. And you must be born again. And then we ask ourselves, just like Nicodemus, well, how do I be born again? And he said this, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural, and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And all of a sudden he says, you were born in the flesh. and it's or You were born by water, by your natural birth. And it is controlled by your flesh. But there's an opportunity for you to be born by the spirit. And now you can be transformed. And now you can be navigated by the spirit of God. See, this is the power of salvation. At the moment where I was driven by my flesh, I went to Panama City this week. I went with two friends, and we were in that 2008 truck, and there's good and bad memories associated with Panama City for me. It was beautiful, sun was shining, water looked like the Bahamas, and I passed a McDonald's, and I pointed at it, and I said, that's where I was arrested. And me, like every other person I've ever visited in jail, I said, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Those people laughing have been in jail. <laughs> they, they, they know. And so all of a sudden, these memories started flooding my life of how in the world, David, could you have been here and been associated with a hundred people a night and still feel absolutely alone? Because my life was being dominated by my flesh and nobody could survive even though there were a hundred in number. Nobody could survive in my orbit because it was me, 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 me. It was my fun. Me, I didn't want responsibilities. It's me, me, me. And then I drove a little further and there was a little place on the beach. And that's where it happened. Where I knelt down in the sand on like a Thursday night. And I said, God, my life is being destroyed one day at a time because 
I'm in control of my life and my life seems to be leading down the path of destruction. I find myself addicted. I find myself wanting to do right and I, I know to do right and I do these things over and over again trying to fulfill the need for my selfishness and then I, right when I think I have enough, I wake up the next day and I need more. And I said, but I'm going to ask you to transform my life. See, I've always believed in God. Believing in God is not enough. It's surrendering to God that's important. And all of a sudden I said, God, I promise you that if you save me and transform me, I will live as passionately for you as I did for me. And I stood up, transformed on the inside. But I still lived with the frailty of my humanity on the outside. See, this is the, the, probably the only time I'm going to tell you to look at your neighbor. You are never going to be more saved than you were right then. Never. You can't get any more saved than the moment you got saved. That's as saved as you're ever going to be. Now, you can get more sanctified, but the power of salvation and the gift of salvation is never any greater then the moment that you ask for the power of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are as saved as you're ever going to be. And so when I stood up, I felt saved. The weight of my sins were over and they were removed as far as the east as the west. But I still had issues, but I still saved. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're saved. If you're saved, you're saved. <coughs> See, I was saved because when I said the prayer, Amy, get ready to play me something. When I said the prayer, I had a horrible language problem. I, I, I cussed a lot. Every day. And I said the prayer, and I never cussed again. No, that's not true. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm trying to make it Sunday to Sunday now. That's, that's sanctification for me. I know nobody else will preach that way, but that's the truth, man. <laughs> and so I stood up. And the reason I'm making this point is, see, the next time I hit my finger with a hammer, I said bad words again. I was saved, but this time there was a difference. I was convicted. Because now what used to not bother me at all in my flesh, they're just going to have to take me the way I am started being navigated by the Spirit that said, this isn't pleasing to the Lord. And, and I started to get convicted. And the more that I was becoming sanctified through the authority of God's Word in my life, all of a sudden, what happened on the inside started to manifest itself on the outside. And I become transformed a new man. See, that's the power when you're starting to live your life and you get saved. It is now time to evict your flesh from the seat of your life, from the center seat, and allow God to sit there. And when that happens, you start being led by the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that next week. So what is it that is causing me to change after I get saved and my flesh is starting to be put in its right place? Because now I love God with all of my heart. And now I've got to follow His commandments because the Holy Spirit keeps leading me to be Christ-like. And He says, love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then I want to love me, but the book says to love your neighbor as yourself. So now I can't even love myself second. 
and I start living a life that has once been founded in selfishness, now I become more selfless every day because now I'm living for Him. So here's the truth. The greatest and one of my favorite, my second favorite chapter of all the Bible is Romans chapter 8. And I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8 because if you're in the middle of transitioning between being led by your flesh and now submitting to being led by your spirit, this is your life and I don't want you to make a mistake. And it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look back at your neighbor and say, if you're saved, you're saved, baby. No condemnation through Christ, who are those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. Weakened by what? The flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Holy smokes. See, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, they were based in flesh. You know, don't commit adultery. That's, some, that's a flesh issue. You know, don't steal. Flesh issue. But then, by the time Jesus was born, man had added, I think there were 619 laws. So man had added 609. And now nobody could go by the rules. And that's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8. You could not have ever been set free by the law that is based on your flesh because your flesh will fail every single time. And so the rule book never did help us. This is the best part of this teaching. I'm going to say that again. The rule book never can help you because you're not able to keep the rules. So something greater than the rules had to show up. And that's where Jesus says, hey, we couldn't get you right because you were still in the flesh. Until you get to heaven, finally you'll be glorified and you'll be in a perfected state. But until then, you're going to be saved on the inside, living on the in the flesh on the outside. And there's going to be a struggle back and forth of who's driving the car every single day. But if you stay grounded and rooted in who I am and let the Holy Spirit lead you to Christ's likeness, you can do away with the rule book. Now I got to get back up here where everybody can see me because this is—I'm gonna shout this to the to the to the rooftops. This document—if you're not saved in this room, this is gonna help you get saved. This document is not, never will, never has, and never will be positioned to be the rule book of your life. It is not a book of rules. It is a love letter. It is a love letter that declares that for God so loved the world. 
in your fleshly state that He gave His only begotten Son to come in the flesh and do something you could not do. That means He lived perfect without sin and without submitting to His flesh. And He lived perfect and had perfect blood that was spilled on a cross of Calvary, then had the authority by the power of the Spirit to get up from the dead and express that love by making you the sons and daughters of God. Amen? And it changed my behavior, man. I didn't need a rule book. No, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. I don't need a rule book. I didn't need a rule book with Michelle. You know those things that we said one to another, this is what we're going to do and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that and not going to do this. We hadn't even lived together. Those are called vows. Those were just words. And then I kissed her and we had to go live those things out. And she doesn't come in and say, you know what? You know, David, what, did you look at somebody today? Uh-uh. How can these eyes look at something other than the one that I love? See, if my love is right and my relationship is right, my eyes don't have any reason to go anywhere else. That's why she's the standard of beauty in my life. Well, when you get, that's, that's a natural marriage. Well, when you get brought into the marriage of your heavenly father in a relationship, a covenant between Jesus and the bride of Christ and your eyes are upon him, the, the flesh has to submit. The flesh has to back up because the spirit of God says, look at the one you love. Look at the one that set you free. Look at the one that took every sin away. Look at the one, you talking about a rule book? No, I do this not because I'm afraid of hell, but I fell in love with a God that provides for me every moment of my life not just that he has given me things I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel I am preaching the truth that all my life he has been faithful all my life I have seen God move on my behalf Sometimes it was painful. Sometimes it was comforting. Sometimes he whispered my name. Sometimes he called me by my full name like my mom. David Joe Pleasant Jr., that's when I knew, hey, flesh is rising up. But here's the end of this sermon. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? And we're about to worship together. And I want you just for a moment, will you close your eyes with me for just a second? Maybe you're not saved. And your life has been driven down the path of chaos over and over and over again. Brother or sister, I'm going to tell you it's not going to change. Because your life is driven by your flesh. And your flesh is never satisfied. It will always want more. But you through the cross that we mentioned can be transformed just as we have been transformed. And you can start being led by the Spirit of God. And finally you have heard somebody say that the Bible's not a rule book. It's actually a love letter. And you can find out how much God loves you. And His expectations of you. But some of you are saved, but you're still driven a lot of the times by your flesh.
And you're going to make a commitment right now, saved or unsaved, that you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to be driven by my flesh because I recognize that brings me chaos. But I'm going to do my best to be led by the Holy Spirit. And if that is you in this place, whether you're getting saved for the first time or you're already saved and just saying, I'm going to set my flesh aside and I'm going to put Jesus, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit and God the Father right on the center of the throne of my life and let them run the ship for a while because I've been running it and I, I'm not, I, I don't see me doing good here. So if that's you, will you raise your hand so I'll know who I'm play, praying with? Man, look at all these hands. That's incredible. Put those hands down. Let me pray. And then we're going to worship. Father. No matter if that hand represented somebody getting saved for the first time or whether it represented somebody that was saying, I'm saved, but I've been letting my flesh drive this thing called my life. And now I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to sit in the driver's seat of my life and I'm going to be rooted. I'm going to be rooted in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to live a God-centered life. No matter what that hand represented, we give you praise and honor for that hand going up because there's transition happening right now. They're going to live in their flesh, but the transformation on the inside is going to start to manifest itself to the outside. And the flesh will be subject as they put on Christ. And I give you the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name.